Baseball Tonight, the podcast. This is the Baseball Tonight podcast for Friday, July 29, 2022, and today will be better than yesterday. Producing from his home studio in the foothills of Connecticut is Taylor Schwenk. Working from Bristol from ESPN is Sarah Abbott, and I'm Buster Only working from my home in New York. Last night, Shohei Otani was on the mound for the Angels. Not long after, word began to drip out that his name is being bandied about in the trade market. He faced the Texas Rangers. He struck out 11 over six innings, but along the way, this happened. And here's a ball rocketed out into deep right center field. That ball will hit the wall. Did it hit the upper wall or the lower wall? It hit the upper portion of the wall. A home run for Nathaniel Lowe, his 15th of the year. Yeah, so the Angels lose 4 to nothing. Otani, despite pitching well, two runs allowed in six innings with those 11 strikeouts. He got the loss, and he was asked after the game about his future with the Angels, given that all those trade rumors were out there. And his answer was very lawyerly. I'm going to read this the way I felt like it was said. <laughs> Regardless of where I'm playing, I'm going to give it my all and try to win the ball game that's right in front of me. I'm win the Angels right now, and I'm very thankful for what they've done. Uh, yeah, we're going to be talking with Carl Ravitch, with Bob Nightingale about the trade wor- rumors that are swirling around Shohei Otani and whether or not we think he's actually going to be moved. The Astros, the Mariners, and Alex Bregman had himself a day. The 1-0. Breaking ball, and that's club deep to left field, and you can kiss that one goodbye. Into the Landry's Crawford boxes for Alex Bregman. A two-run shot, 2 nothing Astros. Here's the 2-2. And Bregman lifts it in the air and pretty deep to left center field. It sends back Winker. Still going back, looking up. And that ball is off the wall. Scoring is Guriel. Bregman in the second with an RBI double. He's driven in all three Astros runs. It's 3-2 to two, Houston. Robert Ford with those calls on KBME 790 AM. The Astros win 4-2. to two. The Dodgers took care of business against the Rockies. He swings and rips it down the left field line. A fair ball. Muncy will score. Here comes Bellinger around third. He'll score. McKinstry being waved around. He will score. A bases clearing double for Trey Turner. And the Dodgers lead it 5 nothing. Freddie Freeman lifts one down the right field line. That's going to roll toward the corner. Around third is McKinstry. He's in. Here comes Betts. The throw will be cut off in the infield. And Freddie Freeman is in with a double and two-run score. It is 13 to nothing. Yeah, Tim Neverett, our friend with those calls on AM570 LA Sports. The Dodgers win that one. With baseball's trade deadline now just four days away, we had another deal last night. The New York Mets acquired outfielder Tyler Naquin and left-hander Philip Deal from the Cincinnati Reds. Uh, two teams announced. Naquin, left-handed hitter, has an 806 OPS, including a 340 on base percentage against right-handed pitchers this year. Not really a home run hitter. Paul Mbikiti is going to tell us coming up whether he feels like the Mets' lack of power might be an issue once we reach the postseason. The Orioles face the Rays, and what a moment for Trey Mancini. Two strikes, one out. Mancini hits it in the air to right. Low, headed back, dealing with the sun, trying to find it, and it hits off below. It caroms away. It's headed towards the corner. Hayes is going to score. Coming over is Quinn. They're setting Mancini around third. Throw coming home. Trey slides. He is in there. That from WBAL. The Orioles win 3 to nothing over Tampa Bay. 
the Red Sox, and the Guardians, and Xander Bogarts had a big hit. 0-2 to Bogey. Swing and a high fly ball deep to left center field. Back toward the monster. It is gone! Yeah, Xander Bogarts with the three-run homer. That's out from WEI 93.7 FM. After the game, Bogarts told reporters he's been told he's not being traded before the deadline. Now, Andrew Benintendi was traded to the Yankees after the Yankees game against the Mets the other night. He met with reporters before the game on Thursday, and he was noncommittal about whether or not he'll get vaccinated and whether or not he'll be eligible to play if the Yankees play in Toronto at any point the rest of the season. I think that'll eventually happen. Benintendi led off for the Yankees in the game against uh, his former team, the Royals, against Brady Singer, and Singer was spectacular, throwing seven scoreless innings, a nasty slider, but it was still scoreless. Bottom of the ninth inning. High fly ball, left center, Taylor on the run, on the track, at the wall, he's done it again. See ya, a walk-off home run by Aaron Judge, and the Yankees win one nothing. That was Michael Kay on the Yes Network. Yes, for Aaron Judge, 39 home runs this season. And Andrew Benatendi talked right after the game about witnessing Judge's home run. Obviously, from from the other side, it's it's incredible what he's doing. Um, you know, and then you know, to be a part of it tonight is, I mean, it's almost like it was just drawn up and exactly how he wants it. I mean, it's um, you know just watching highlights every night and he's he's doing that. It's crazy. Um, but glad a good win and glad to be a part of it. Yeah, he talked about how weird it was to be playing against his former team just 24 hours after he was dealt. Definitely looking forward to, to getting some rest tonight, um, but it's been it's been crazy um, meeting a lot of people, um, you know, running all over the place. But uh, you know, I'm glad to be here, and I wouldn't change it. This was Judge on the field right after the game with Meredith Marakovitz. Aaron, your team had just one hit heading into that night. Then it looked like you wasted no time against Barlow there. What was your approach heading into that at bat? Um, you know, to stay ready. You know, we've been battling all night. Some guys with some great at bats. You know, Singer went out there and did his thing against us, but uh, I just try to keep it simple. You know, it doesn't matter what you did your first couple at bats. You know, anytime you come with a moment like that, just keep it simple and do your job. It's not your first walk-off moment here at the stadium this season. What is it about those moments here that seems to bring out the best in you? Oh, look at this crowd. You can't beat it. When you got fans like this on their feet, you know, sticking with us the whole game, uh, it just kind of gets you going. They continue to chant MVP. What does that mean to you? It's whatever. You know, we got the win tonight. That's what I'm, you know, that's what I care about. Taylor, what else you got? Foster, first of all, Michael Elias, don't trade Trey Mancini for the love of God. He's, he's a nice young man. He, he hits the ball well. And uh, you were dying for me to bring in, right? When Mancini hit that home run, you wanted me to bring in so you can make this speech. Just a little note. You know, if I'm offering notes to the uh, GM of the Baltimore Orioles, I would say don't trade Trey Mancini. That's all. And maybe- What about Jorge Lopez? What about Cedric Mullins? Oh, definitely not Cedric Mullins. Absolutely. Uh, if they want to trade Jorge Lopez, I guess that's fine. You're probably not going to get a ton for him anyway, but why don't you bring in a bat? Bring in a starting pitcher. Bring up some of the young guys. Rugnet Odor is uh, frustrating to watch. There's a couple youngsters I like to see on the field over him. But uh, You got some money. You can do some damage. <laughs> you got some payroll flexibility, and they should have some payroll flexibility, uh, yeah. they've been, given they've been, where they've set the payroll in recent years. The the uh, the checking account should be swole at this point after the lack yep. of spending. So, 
Uh, a couple things to promote here. ESPN, in partnership with Peyton Manning's Omaha Productions, present not just football with Cam Hayward. Each week, fans get a peek behind the curtain of NFL life. Pittsburgh Steelers defensive tackle and five-time Pro Bowler Cam Hayward gives his unfiltered thoughts on the league and headlines across all sports. That's not just football with Cam Hayward. Listen wherever you get your podcasts. And I watched a little bit of this last night. The captain, he was the face of the New York Yankees, a five-time World Series champion, the most popular and admired player in baseball. And one of the great sports superstars of any age, the captain tells the story of Derek Jeter's life and Hall of Fame career anchored by exclusive, extensive, unprecedentedly candid interviews with Jeter, along with his family and dozens of teammates, rivals and observers. Catch episodes one through three streaming now on ESPN Plus and episode four next week. I believe it's Thursday at 9 p.m. Eastern. That's when they're going to start to get into all the A-Rod stuff. They teased it at the end of last night's episode. That's what I was watching. So I will be very eager to watch that as well. Dogs are an important part of our lives, and keeping them protected is a top priority, especially against nasty parasites. That's why you gotta check out NexGuard Plus, a Foxaloner, Moxidectin, and Pyrantal chewable tablets. NexGuard Plus chews provide one and done monthly protection that kills fleas and ticks, prevents heartworm disease, plus it treats and controls roundworms and hookworms. That's a whole lot of protection packed into a delicious beef-flavored soft chew designed to make monthly dosing easy and enjoyable. So the next time you're at the vet, ask about NextGuard Plus Chews. They're the one-and-done monthly parasite protection you want for your dog. Used with caution in dogs with a history of seizures or neurological disorders. Dogs should be tested for existing heartworm infection prior to starting preventive. Vivid Seats wants to get you to the games you love this spring. Experience every pitch, assist, and game-winning shot live and in person. And the best part? Each transaction is a step toward a free 11 ticket with Vivid Seats rewards. Score unbeatable perks like free tickets, surprise seat upgrades, and annual birthday deals. As the official ticketing partner of ESPN, Vivid Seats is offering you $20 off your first $200 ticket purchase with Code Baseball. That's code baseball. Visit vividseats.com or download the app today. Vivid Seats, experience it live. Bob Nightingale covers baseball for USA Today. And Bob, you know how it goes this time of year. Uh, trade deadline. Everyone wants to know about particular players, particular teams. So let's go rapid fire today, okay? Sounds good, Buster. All right. What do we know about Shohei Otani, who has emerged into the trade market with just a few days to go. I had zero chance he gets traded. Uh, it'll be the shocker of all shocks. So, now he's not going anywhere. I think they're just listening so that, you know, if they do have to move him this winter, if he's not interested in signing a long-term contract, at least you know, you know, who's interested and, and what uh, what teams are willing to offer. But that's it. There's, you know, tell you what, if they, if they traded him, they'd have to give money back to all the sponsors or everything else. And this guy's making money for the club. Yeah, and I agree with you. I don't think he's going to be traded. I think this is a case of Perry Manassi and their general manager listening. I would say that one team that uh, could that could check a lot of boxes in making a trade for Otani, the St. Louis Cardinals, because we know that you know when we've talked about the potential of them being involved in the Juan Soto conversation. The feeling is okay. Well, Soto would upgrade the offense. You still have a need for a number one starting pitcher. Otani would fill both needs. So if you're John Mazzaluk. Should you go in there and, and try to go in big? 
Sure, you can. You know, I know they're in the Soto market or Castillo market. But yeah, I mean, I just don't think uh, the Angels are serious whatsoever. Just just listening. And this guy, Buster, he makes $20, 25000000 million a year for the uh, Angels. So are they really going to cut a check to all the sponsors? Okay, here's your money back. It would cost them a lot of money just to trade them. So during the winter, yeah, perhaps, but, but certainly not now. All right, Juan Soto, what do we know? Well, there's about four teams being real aggressive on them. San Diego Padres, you know, I, they're the favorites. You know, if it doesn't stay put. Uh, Seattle Mariners are right there. Uh, St. Louis Cardinals, you know, as you mentioned, Mosaic is in there. And the Dodgers. And the Dodgers really, really don't need them, but they're, uh, they're involved. Uh, you know, their priority is to get, uh, one, is get Luis Castillo. But th- those four teams are kind of been the most aggressive. Yeah, so what I was hearing yesterday from teams was they consider the Padres to be the favorites. What, uh, what's your sense? Yeah, I agree with that. And they jumped out right away and called. And, you know, I'm not sure where the McKenzie Gore injury, uh, how much that hurts as far as getting a deal done uh, for, for Soto. But, yeah, I mean, Seattle – Seattle has urgency, too. I mean, uh, I've been in the playoffs since 2001. If they don't make the playoffs, I think there's going to be some uh, heads rolling up there. Uh, you know, St. Louis, they definitely need a starter. And they, uh, you know, so I, I think they'll go more Castillo than, uh, than a, a Soto, but they're, they're involved with Soto. I agree. I think I think Padres, particularly with A.J. Preller, he's more aggressive than anybody. They do have two, three hundred million dollar players on the roster. So I don't think they'd sign him long-term, but at least you'd have him for a, uh, a couple of years and then go ahead and, you know, flip him in two years from now. What do you hear on Luis Castillo? Cause I hear he's going to get moved. Yeah, definitely going to get moved. I mean, you know, the corner of the market on that guy, there's nobody close. I mean, Montas with his injuries and everything else, and they could Castillo for next year too. So I think it comes down to between the Yankees and Dodgers. I don't rule out St. Louis. I don't rule out the Toronto Blue Jays. But the Yankees and Dodgers, you know, the Yankees have been solving over this guy for years. So he's really the perfect fit. What do we know about the Baltimore Orioles, who one of the teams at the tipping point on whether or not to buy or sell? And if they did decide to sell, they would have some interesting players. They would. I hope they don't. You know, you should reward those players for playing the way they have. And, uh, you know, playing good baseball, being around 500. So if I'm the Orioles, I don't move a guy unless I get a nice return back. Don't just do it for a fringe prospect. It's not fair to the guys in that clubhouse, whether it's Mancini or anybody else. So they got to be a little careful here without just completely destroying morale. You've touched on the Dodgers in the Castillo conversation. It also feels like that they're going to be aggressive in the bullpen market, especially with some uncertainty around Blake Trinan. Yeah, absolutely. And, uh, you know, Kimbrell's been, you know, good, but but not great. Uh, about three weeks ago or so, Milwaukee Brewers had told teams they want to listen on Josh Hader. Not that they move him, but, you know, listen, thinking they can still win without him and get enough pieces back. So, you know, that would be a guy I'd heavily pursue, you know, get to uh, get swayed and move him. But, yeah, I agree. Uh, and they need some bullpen help for sure, some late inning help. Okay, two interesting teams, again, at the tipping point on whether to buy or sell. Red Sox, San Francisco Giants. What do you got on those two teams? Giants, of course, if they decide to sell, uh, you have Carlos Rodon, you have Jock Peterson. Yeah, two good pieces of move. I mean, Rodon, you're probably a little leery just because he's had some poor second halves. 
Uh, you know, he's not pitching as well now as he as he was during the season. Um, you know, he's what twenty five million dollars in the uh, you know two years, and but you know he can walk out it for one year. It, it's just what he does. I think Jock Peterson, just what he did for Atlanta, would be a good fit for a number of teams. So yeah, they're kind of a no man's land there as far as you know what to do. You know, Boston, I could see them. So okay, we'll hang on the Bogarts, we'll we'll hang on the Devers, but you know, Ivaldi, JD Martinez, those would be some great Pittsburgh teams. Yeah, Carlos Rodon, I kind of wonder if, in fact, the Giants decide to become sellers, maybe he's the guy that the Cardinals land for their rotation. They're going to get somebody. I don't know if it's going to be Montas. Uh, I don't think it's going to be Castillo because the division dynamic and the you know the Reds are not going to want to deliver him to a uh, division rival and watch him pitch for the next two years. Rodon would be a rental for the Cardinals. He would be. You got Tyler Manley too, um, uh, Cincinnati, so he could be a fallback option. But yeah, I just think there's such a drop off after Castillo. I do believe that the Reds would trade him in division, just in the sense where, you know, how many times you're going to face him anyway, and it's not like the Reds are going to contend next year. So I, you know, maybe they have to pay a stiffer price. But I, I think they'd move him to St. Louis, but they may have to pay more than another team. So uh, there's been a lot of conversation about Wilson Contreras. You know, he famously uh, responded to the crowd in his last, uh, what's probably his last at bat at Wrigley Field. I would say this generally. My sense, uh, Bob, is that the interest in, in Contreras, maybe not as much. The hype is not as great as the actual market for him. What's your sense? No, I, I, I'm with you, Buster. I mean, obviously the Cubs have a difference in opinion how much he's worth because it never came close to uh, signing him to an extension. But yeah, you, know, you hear the Mets, you hear the uh, you hear the Houston Astros. Yeah, he might be a guy. Remember, last year Buster was you know Chris Bryant. You know, was there until the very end. You know, right. I, thought, I thought the Giants stole the guy. Uh, maybe the same thing happens to Contreras. You know, I mean, the one thing for the uh, Cubs, you know, they got to get something that's going to be better in a high draft pick and lose them in conversation. So they got to make sure they get some decent return. Yeah, and I think they will, particularly with the factors, the universal DH. All right, Bob. Thanks for doing this. Thanks for going rapid fire. My pleasure. Thank you, Buster. All aboard. It's the Rabbit Train with Carl Rabbit. The Rabbit Train scheduled for stops in the days ahead in San Francisco, in Houston, in Bristol, Connecticut. Rabbit, how are you doing this week? I'm doing really well. The train never slows down, Buster. We've had a good run here from uh, draft day through trade deadline. A lot of baseball, a lot of good baseball. And uh, the next, uh, I don't know, 72 hours is going to be pretty interesting, I think. From what was going to be kind of a dead deadline about a month ago, it feels like it's going to be pretty active. No, I, I completely agree with you. And we'll we'll dive right into it in terms of names, in terms of teams, in terms of uh, what you're hearing and what you're thinking is uh, needs to get done. Uh, Juan Soto uh, is someone who's being talked about now by the Padres, being talked about by the Cardinals. From what I hear, the message going out from their organization is Mike Rizzo is focused, uh, which tends to be his habit in the past. This is what happened with the Trey Turner and Max Scherzer negotiations last year. He gets locked in on a team. He gets locked in on a particular group of players, and then he makes a move. Uh, what's your sense, Ravi? Yeah, I mean, there seems to be an ine- inevitability to it. It's something I would, I just won't understand. Uh, but yeah. from Mike Rizzo's perspective, you, you you better be focused because ultimately you're you're going to be judged on all these deals that you've made. And you know, last year 
they they let go a couple of really talented players, and this is this is three to five years until you you figure out did that make any sense? And I thought you brought up a great point during Sunday Night Baseball when you brought up the names like Henry Aaron, et cetera. Like who, who, you're never gonna lose, you know, you're never gonna lose that deal if you acquire that player, which means the other side is losing the deal. Um, and that's ultimately why you, yeah, you need Uber focus. You, you've got to recognize, and I'm, I know he does, which is why I don't understand why Juan Soto has to be traded now, but he recognizes, you know, my legacy with the nationals in spite of the world series is still going to be on uh, who I got, who I traded Scherzer and Turner. And now it's going to be Soto. I don't know. That's a, that's a big market. I understand all about the ownership, et cetera, but it is the Washington nationals. You are a world series winner. And now we've we've just let go three potential Hall of Famers. So maybe Turner's not there, but Scherzer's a Hall of Famer, and Soto's certainly trending to a Hall of Famer. Yeah, and I, I do think the uh, the transfer of the ownership is the driving force behind yeah. uh, Juan Soto deal that I think is going to happen before the deadline. I'm really curious about uh, what the the driving force is behind the Shohei Otani conversations. Um, you know, Carl, as you know, uh, the last uh, 24 to 48 hours, word's gone out to the other teams that, yeah, the Angels will listen. And I don't expect that Otani's going to be traded. Uh, but I do think at some point in the next four or five months that the Angels are going to determine whether or not he's going to stay with the team. And I, as I sit here today, Carl, based on what I've heard around the edges and Otani wanting to win, maybe a little bit frustrated with the lack of progress with the team. You know what? I I think the driving force there is the Angels going face to face with the reality in a way that the yeah. Nationals don't necessarily have to with Soto because he's not a free agent for two and a half years. But if you're the Angels, you know that Otani, you know, there's a chance in 15 months he's just going to walk away. Yeah, I, I agree with that 100. percent I be honest with you, if I find out that they're open, if I believe that they're sincere, I I do everything I possibly can including taking some real risk in who I move to get him on my team. If you're a, if you're not only a contender for this year, but you're going to plan on contending for the next several years, meaning you're willing to sign him. Meaning if I'm the New York Mets and have this yep. ability to spend, I, I have to, I have to call the angels. I have to find out exactly what it is they want. And then I really have to, as Mike Rizzo is using the term focus, be focused on what I'm getting, not only on the field, but off the field, et cetera, because Shohei Otani is a, is a brand unto himself, and he obviously brings in markets that other people don't. I really have to seriously consider putting my best foot forward. I mean, I, I hear about untouchables. There can't be an untouchable when Shohei Otani's name is mentioned, and I think the idea that they're open to listening opens the door for me as an owner to say, hold on a second, I have to find out what this is about. And I do think a team like the Yankees with their prospects, a team like the Padres, a team like the Cardinals, have the ability to make a move to get Shohei Otani if the Angels are sincere. You, This is beyond kicking tires. you really got to explore how few people are and, and what it is you're asking for in return. And I'm sure, we obviously know... It's a it's a Brinks truck of talent, but let's identify what that talent is, and then let me, as the team that is considering acquiring somebody like that, in this case Otani, 
to determine whether the Brinks truck has got too much stuff that you're asking for or not. I, I have got to pursue that. I, I mean, you tell me, Buster, Soto or Otani, as they stand alone, who's more interesting? If you're in the Soto conversation, don't you then have to shift and say, whoa, whoa, Otani's maybe available or not? Yes, uh, and it's interesting. Uh, I think it's to- I think it just varies from team to team, right? Um, you know, we've talked to, about it, in the last uh, week or so how the Cardinals probably are the best equipped to make a massive Juan Soto deal. But you know what? Shohei Otani fits them better, fits what they needs because they are desperate for a frontline starter. You know, they they have a decent offense. Uh, the, if they were to get Otani, he's a better fit for them than Juan Soto would be. Um, you know, the, for the San Diego Padres, I think Soto is the better fit because the Padres have pitching. You know, they're okay there. What they need is more offense. And, you know, they're in a position where they could invest in a 23-year-old player maybe uh, and willing to give up, uh, you know, prospects and, and not worry about covering, uh, you know, the, on the pitching side, whereas I think the Cardinals have to focus on the pitching side. Yeah, I, I think the only caveat to both to what your points are are that I would imagine that the Cardinals, who seem to have a plethora of position players and offensive pieces, several of those would be included in an Otani deal. So you're depleting yep. that great offense, and therefore you will need Otani's bat. And in the Padres' case, some of those really good major league ready already with major league experience young pitchers would go back in the deal. So the Padres would then have to supplement the guys, some of them, that they let go. This is not, you know, Otani's not getting four minor leaguers who have high ceilings. This is this is three minor leaguers with high ceilings and two major league ready superstar players or, or the notch below. So I think you're going to deplete some of that cupboard that you just talked about, the strengths that they have if you make a deal like that. But I, my goodness, if he's out there and, and they're open, I've got to put my my offer on the table. I have to. I, I agree with you. If you're John Mazalock and you make a deal for Juan Soto, you're still sitting there. Let's say he finished a deal and, and uh, you know, by the end of today and he's shaking hands with other members of front office, he'd be like, oh, man, we, we still need a starting pitcher. We have more work to do. If yep. John Mazalock, the general manager, uh, the, the head of baseball operations for the Cardinals, makes a deal for Otani, he has checked the starting pitcher box and he's upgraded the offense. So Otani is, you know, I think he is a better fit to your point than Juan Soto is. What do you think of the Andrew Benintendi deal for the Yankees? Yeah, it's fascinating. I, you know, I don't, I think it was good. I mean, I understand what they're doing. Um, I'm not like I saw our buddy Mike Petriello who helps us out on Sunday night baseball. It, it's good. It's fine. Um, it's amazing. I find myself when you hear the names that are out there and the Yankees are involved and it's not Juan Soto, and it's not a blockbuster deal, and I totally understand. This is just sort of the, you, you go into a, a movie, and you come out, and you're like, hey, it was good, it wasn't great, I had I had high expectations, but it, it just didn't, you know, it was like a seven. I don't know, Ben Attendee serves a role. Um, he obviously has got that World Series pedigree with Boston. He's having a good year. I I, I think it's fine. I, I think it's I think it probably improves them. But I'm not like over the moon. Uh, maybe I wonder: Is Stanton okay? Like, you know, what if Stanton's healthy? Do we really need to make that move? It's a lefty bat. There are other guys out there. Uh, 
Andrew Benatendi, Tyler Naquin, I, you know, to me, they're, they're kind of similar. They're in the same class. I, I'm not blown away by any of the Andrew Benatendi move. I think it's a, it's a nice, subtle, supplemental move, and, and I assume there's going to be more from the Yankees. Yeah, they're still in a conversation for Luis Castillo. I think they'll add a reliever. I've got a higher grade on it because I think Ben Attendi, the player that he's become, where he's a high-contact guy, uh, controls the strike zone, gets on base, uh, you know, good defender, experience, has played in a a big market before, something Joey Gallo hadn't done before he joined the Yankees. I I think that that's the type of player, Carl, who can help you win in October. And let's face it, if you're the Yankees now and you get that massive lead, you're just trying to upgrade your team for a playoff series yeah. or the World Series. Yeah. I think Ben Intendi is one of those guys against a good pitcher in late October. I like him a whole lot more than Joey Gallo. Well, I, I, look, if you're comparing him to Joey Gallo, I, I think Joey Gallo's, you know, obviously had a historically bad year, and you watch him, and uh, there are people in that organization who, you know, who literally feel bad for the guy. I mean, it's just, it's just not working. Um, so, uh, yeah, if you're comparing those two, 100% understand. Uh, but, I, I look, they, they lead the world in runs. Uh, they get on base. They steal bases, which is something, you know, he has the ability to do. They, everything they do well, he kind of does well, too. So you're, you're adding to a position of strength. Finish it off with Castillo, it makes great sense. But I, I just felt, to me, that it's, that it's a nice move. It's not one of those that I'm going to – until we get to October and Andrew Benatendi's up with a big spot and he has to move a runner from second to third and he delivers. Oh, they, they, see, the move may have paid off just with that one one at bat because he did what, what if it's Joey Gallo, couldn't do. But they're so loaded offensively. Uh, you know, I'm just, I guess maybe I'm just comparing it to their need versus their want. You know, and that's, uh, I'm waiting for the need to be satisfied. Okay, here's our schedule in the days ahead. On Sunday night, Sunday night baseball, we've got the Cubs in San Francisco. Then all of us are going to take a red eye to Houston because on Monday we've got the Red Sox against the Astros. And then we get up early in the morning and we fly to Bristol uh, or into uh, the Hartford area because we have the trade deadline special that starts, I believe, at 4 o'clock Eastern time on Tuesday afternoon. And, Carl, I'm – I'm going to be really fascinated to be around the Red Sox because a lot of what they're doing right now, I can't put the pieces of the puzzle together. <laughs> uh, we know in the spring, you know, they had these conversations with Xander Bogarts that we've talked about. They offered him a one-year extension and $60 million less or $50 million less than what they gave Trevor Story. Uh, and then, uh, you know, the, during the course of this uh, frustrating season for the Red Sox, a lot of speculation that they might trade Xander Bogarts. Bogarts told reporters last night he's been told he's not being traded. I just kind of don't get the whole plan, Carl. What's your read on it? This is this is caught between a rock and a hard place because I'm not certain you're ever going to get back currently what they what those two guys. If it's Devers or Bogarts, but in, in the case of Bogarts, what what they need. I, the other part of the Bogarts, you know. Uh, that you factor into with his situation is the number of shortstops that are going to be available. Um, that's where I think the Red Sox feel comfortable in. If he does leave, there are going to be other options, but I think they really, I mean, I know they really like him and you certainly have a manager who is, who has loudly protested 
any idea that Xander Bogarts should go anywhere. I mean, he, he loves the guy, and he's, he's a really good player. The idea that you're going to move Story to shortstop automatically when there's some questions about his arm, when he's become one of, if not the best second baseman in the league, doesn't make a lot of sense. Again, this goes back to the Rizzo and the Washington National point. This is a World Series contender when they're, when they're right, and they're a huge market, and they have a massive fan base. And I was just talking to a random fan yesterday, Buster. August and September suck when your baseball team is no good. The connection between the fans of New England and the Red Sox is really deep. And we know all about the Patriots, and they're coming soon. The point is, when you have a baseball team like the two teams in New York and Los Angeles and St. Louis and Milwaukee and wherever you are, Houston, it makes those two months, the dog days, and then September as football starts again, so much more interesting. And so many folks are dependent on flipping on that television every night and seeing a team in contention. You're going you're gonna to move Bogarts? and further alienate that group, that that doesn't make a lot of sense. And I just, again, I don't understand a rebuild in Boston. Um, I think they look at their team and say, you know, if, if we, if we get healthy, this is a really good team. Now the sale thing was a disaster, but if he comes back and if all figures it out and Bogart's endeavors have good years, we've been without Kike Hernandez there's a lot of reasons not to do something, and I understand the, the, the big financial one to try to move them, but I, I'm, I'm anti-trading trading Bogarts. And if you're asking me what the plan is, my plan would be we've we got talent here. We have young talent. We've got two foundational pieces that are being talked about. I don't want to talk about my foundational pieces. I want to build around them. No, and I, I would disagree in this regard. My plan would have been to try to sign Zogar, Xander Bogarts in spring training based on the markets for shortstop. Uh, and if I couldn't yes. have done that, and I'm sitting now where the Red Sox are, what, seventh in the race for the wild card, then I would yep. be open to trading him. It feels like they've tried to thread the needle on this thing. Not yeah, really but they threaded, famous they didn't market thread value. the needle with a good deal. They didn't thread the needle with a good deal. You weren't serious. No. You, that wasn't a serious proposal. No, exactly. All right, Ravi. Uh, have safe travels out to the West Coast. I will see you in San Francisco. Okay, my friend. See you soon. You can now stream the most MLB games on DirecTV without a satellite dish. Yes. The clutch hits, the strikeouts, grand salamis, web gems, with nothing on your roof. So whoever's up there, whether it's roofers, Santa, birds, old-timey chimney sweeps, moody teenagers, thrill-seeking raccoons, you name it, they won't find a satellite dish. But you will find your MLB games on DirecTV. That means DirecTV is your home for baseball this season. Root, root, root with nothing on your roof. Call 1-800-DIRECTV or visit directtv.com. Sign up today. Claim based on total games carried on sports networks. Sports availability varies by zip code and requires choice package. For the ones who get it done, Granger offers high-quality supplies and solutions for every industry, as well as access to product specialists who have the knowledge and experience to answer your toughest questions. Plus, their commitment to being your safety partner can help you keep your facilities safe and your people safer. Call, click Granger.com, or just stop by. Jumping into the numbers. <laughs> This is Himbo Knows on Baseball Tonight. 
Hembo, of course, is pulling bikinis, a researcher at ESPN. He's a honcho on the show. Get up. He tells us he's the head honcho. And Hembo, if you were the head honcho of the St. Louis Cardinals, if you were John Mazalock and you were running baseball operations, I'm sorry. I, I would have the approach uh, with Shohei Otani that maybe the Padres are having right now with Juan Soto. Like, I would back up the truck to get Otani because you talk about one player filling every need for a particular team. Otani would do that from the Cardinals. Are you buying or no? I'm buying, Buster. If I were running the Cardinals, I would ensure as best I possibly could that Shohei Otani was on my team on August 3rd. If that means I'm trading the most lucrative package of all time to get him, or if I'm driving to Los Angeles and kidnapping him and throwing him in my truck, no matter what, Shohei Otani fills two needs for my team. Shohei Otani instantly makes me the most interesting and beloved team internationally and takes us from being a fringe playoff team to a legitimate World Series contender. I'm not suggesting that he should uh, kidnap Shohei Otani. I would go the first route with the prospects first, and then Buster, if I must, I'm throwing him in my trunk. Yeah, so he makes the most sense for the Cardinals. I think Juan Soto makes the most sense for the Padres. Mm-hmm. I'm hearing from other teams that uh, they are the most motivated team in this conversation. We'll see if they land. But I know you and Bob Melvin have something in common. You've been fantasizing about a lineup that starts with Fernando Tatis Jr. and Juan Soto. Um, <laughs> I sure have, Buster. I, I think it's really easy in the moment to lose perspective when we are watching greatness happen. And I made a big mistake yesterday. I went on Twitter and I read the comments. I read the comments on a tweet that you sent out comparing Juan Soto at his age to other all-time greats at their ages. And Buster, your followers have, have this wrong, and you have this exactly right. And here's what I mean. I'm gonna, what I did was I looked up the players with the best batting lines through the age of 23. All right? I'm going to just read you a list of those players, Buster. They include Ted Williams, Albert Pujols, Jimmy Fox, Joe DiMaggio, Mel Ott, Fernando Tatis Jr., of course, and Juan Soto. That's the list. Those are the top seven hitters, 23 or younger, in baseball's modern era. It is not hyperbole to say that pairing the two of them would be like Joe DiMaggio and Ted Williams sharing the same lineup, or Jimmy Fox and Mel Ott sharing the same lineup. It would probably provide the Padres the best young tandem in baseball since the Mariners had both A-Rod and Griffey a generation ago. If I were running that club, and if I, were, and if I owned that club, there is no question in my mind, this is a once-in-a-generation opportunity, and I think the context, the perspective here is vital. You are talking about two all-time great young players on a Hall of Fame track. Putting them together would instantly make my team delicious. I, I could not turn, uh, pass up that opportunity if it presented itself to me. Yeah, and did you like in that tw- particular tweet, uh, I mentioned that you know making a deal for Soto now would be like trading for Willie Mays in 1955, trading for Henry Aaron in 1958, uh, Mike Trout in 2014, Ted Williams in 1942. And the reaction was overwhelmingly, you can't possibly be serious. You can't compare that guy. And I'm like, no, that's who this guy is. And one of my other points I've been making, uh, Hembo, and I'll let you, you know, agree, disagree, is that when you look at these massive deals through history, not only in baseball, but in all sports, of the prospect for superstar trades, the team that gets a superstar almost never loses. Now, I'm a Vikings fan, and I can have bad memories of the Herschel Walker deal, 
But every other deal, you know, Tom Seaver, Vita Blue, uh, on down the line, Kareem Abdul-Jabbar, if you get the superstar at a young age, you're going to win the trade. Prospects will break your heart. Prospects buster are currency. They are not actual. They are hypotheticals. And if you have the opportunity to trade hypothetical for actual, and in this case, one of the very best young players in literally the history of Major League Baseball, you do it. We thought that Cameron Maben and Andrew Miller were going to the Hall of Fame. They were just guys. Most of the time, prospects turn out to be just guys. Remember how upset we were when Brody Van Wagen and traded Jared Kelnick for Edwin Diaz? How could you do such a thing? There are a hundred instances like that, Buster, where you could point to prospects not amounting to bleep. Look, and even if the prospects do amount to something, what you have in, in Juan Soto is certainty. Two and a third years of the best hitter in baseball at the top of your lineup. I like dealing in things that I know in life. I like making decisions based upon things that I know. I know Juan Soto is a generational talent, and I think that my prospects might become something. I prefer things that I know. Yeah, uh, and your reference to Andrew Miller and Cameron Maybin, of course, is that uh, blockbuster trade made between the Marlins and the Tigers uh, for Miguel Cabrera. How many general managers in baseball right now, Hembo, do you think would trade the career of Cameron Maybin uh, and Andrew Miller for the career, getting the career of Miguel Cabrera? <laughs> <laughs> well, here's the thing, Butler. We live in a world in which general managers think they're smarter than they are. Every general manager in every sport thinks they're smarter than they are. That's why NFL teams refuse to trade a first-round draft pick for an established star because the prospects, the idea, the possibility of having control cheaply over a player during their youth is obviously a, a very intriguing proposition. But in order for all those things to happen, you need to have a good player development staff in place. You need to uh, get extremely lucky with the player skill set, player health. There are many things that go into it. There are so many variables that go into it. With Juan Soto, you're dealing in constants, not variables. And that's why I would, uh, would certainly be willing to move heaven and earth to trade for him. We're not talking about a two-month rental buster. Two years of Juan Soto on the free agent market would, would, would be something like $100 million in value. The entire careers of all of the prospects you trade, in all likelihood, will not amount to that. Yeah, and you're, yeah, you're talking about uh, two and a third years. I and have encouraged people who've asked me about this uh, to go back and look at the – because, look, baseball people are really smart. They work hard. They, uh, you know, do their due diligence. Just go back and look at the top of the drafts for the last 10 years. Picks one, two, and three, and take a look at how many are wrong. Most of them. Mm. Mm. Most <laughs> right? of them. When Most you're of them. Yeah, most of them turn out to be wrong in terms of actually getting the value you want, and now you have a sure thing and Juan Soto out there. All right, give me one potential flaw for each of the top four teams in baseball. Buster, I'm going to start with the Dodgers. The Dodgers own a 4-4-5 earned run average in the ninth inning. That ranks yeah. 24th in baseball. As a team, they've been outscored by 10 runs in the ninth inning. Buster, is that fatal or is that just a flesh wound? Uh, it's potentially fatal. I was actually surprised – when the Dodgers were the team to make the trade for Craig Kimbrell, who's made it clear in his career, look, I need to pitch in the ninth inning. And, you know, the team, this is a team that has valued flexibility so much. And so to get locked into that guy for the ninth inning, that, that's been a concern for me all year. Fatality. 
<laughs> Fatality. Yeah. Attaboy, Taylor. Hit that sounder for me. All right. Buster, Fatality. my next team is the Yankees. Fatality. All right, Buster, tell me, fatal or flesh wound to the Yankees? I'm just going to give you the earned run averages of their starting rotations by month this season. 2.71 in April, 2.83 in May, 3.49 in June, and 4.10 in July. Buster, is the Yankees' regression when it comes to their starting rotation fatal or just a flesh wound? It's just a flesh wound because I believe they're going to be the team that lands Luis Castillo. Just a mm. flesh wound. <laughs> That's right, Monty Python. Just a flesh wound. Buster, the next team, the Astros, this team has been successful in the past. They've had the deepest lineup in baseball. Not so much this season. Buster, the bottom third of their order, the seven, eight, nine hitters, own a collective 6-12 OPS this season. That ranks 26th in baseball. Buster, is the lack of depth in the Astros lineup, is that fatal? Or is that a flesh wound? That's fatal. I think they need to add one more hitter before the deadline. And I think, as we've been saying on the podcast for a couple months, center field is a focal point. Mm. Fatality. High production value here on the Baseball Tonight podcast. Buster, the last team, the fourth best team in baseball by record right now this season is the Mets. They have been out-homered this season, 107 to 96. They are minus 11 when it comes to home run differential. Buster. Is the Mets' lack of pop, the lack of ability to hit the ball out of the ballpark, a potential fatal flaw, or is that just a flesh wound? Yeah, fatal. Uh, look, I, I think the Mets have a terrific team. You know, it was fun watching them in the, in the two-game set that they had against the Yankees. Uh, you know, they take two or three from the Braves. But over the course of October, I think you got to hit more home runs than what they are. I feel mm. like at times in October – it might feel like their lineup is like throwing a, a, a welterweight against a heavyweight or a you know middleweight against heavyweights because these teams in October, they hit home runs. You buying? Uh, I am buying, Buster. I think that's a fatality as well. Just, just for some context in terms of how hard it is to string hits together in the postseason, last season collectively in the playoffs, there were 693 strikeouts against 612 hits the Braves obviously bopped last year in the playoffs look that's par for the course you're seeing the best pitching on the best teams I I I like the fact that they can they're capable of scoring runs without the benefit of the home run I don't know that you can only sort of scratch across a third of your runs in that respect when you are going to be facing live arms on every single night I'm with you Daniel Vogelbach was a good start but for my money they need one more bat yeah, and I think they might be done. Yeah, Tyler Naquin, you know, that might be mm-hmm. it. Mm-hmm. And, and mm-hmm. that, what we saw in the second game of the, of the set against the Yankees, uh, where you had Aaron Boone run a four-man outfield, that was uh, a sign of what you and I are talking about because they're not doing that if, if Eduardo Escobar is someone who's, you know, hitting the ball out of the ballpark or is a, a more well-rounded player. Their feeling was, you know what, he's probably going to keep it in the park. He puts the ball in the air. And it's not going to go out, so we're going to put four outfielders out there. That's uh, that's how you know at least one team views the Mets lineup that they can navigate their way through it because of lack of powers. That makes sense. Yeah, so I think that's illustrative of of where we are with them. In order to win in the postseason, you're going to have to be able to win games more than one way. Yep. The Mets can win four to two. I don't know that the Mets can win eight to six, and I think therein could lie their potential fatal flaw. Yep, I would agree with you. All right, Hembo, thanks for doing this. Always great to talk with you. Later, friends. 
Bleacher tweets. Alrighty, Buster. Bleacher tweets for a Friday. Lewis W at ELU2718 is up first. Lewis writes in jokes about Tim K's selflessness. Got me thinking. I noticed roughly 43 shout outs by name in his Hall of Fame speech lasting about 16 minutes and 53 seconds. That's a personal thanks to a different person, an average of every 23.6 seconds. Any speech that had me in stitches and tears. What a pro. Love the analysis from Lewis here on Tim's speech. I do. I think we're, you know what? Uh, we're going to have to present that to Tim. Mm-hmm. Like he's going to become. Like a lot of times, Tim and I will go up to a player and say, here's a nerd stat about you that we're going to run past you and get some reaction from you. So let's run that stat back for him on Monday. All right. Duly noted. Kyle Ware at KW20 writes in related to the schedule change. A lot of talk about the schedule change here in the tweets. The NHL have had a lot of excess uh, marking superstars by putting every team in every building every year. Major League Baseball stepping in that direction with this schedule change. I'm happy to see it. Yeah, uh, I think this is going to be one of those things you go to ebbs and flows, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, where we're going to see it next year, and then people are going to be like, how come I don't get to see more of my rival team? Uh, <laughs> yep. You know, if you're a Cubs fan, you're going to see less of the Cardinals. Uh, if you're the Brewers, you're going to see less of the Cubs. Um, that's I- I'm concerned about that. As I say, I grew up with a balanced schedule. And so uh, the teams that I would follow, I would listen to, they would play the same number of games against teams that they weren't rivals with. And I, I just, I didn't, I didn't, wasn't wild about it. Uh, Reggie at Baseball Yoda Weather writes in Buster, you talked about how the Reds would not want to move Luis Castillo in division to the Cardinals with the balance schedule coming in 2023. The number of divisional series drops from six to four, which, in my view, creates more reasons to do a divisional deal, as Bob Nightingale also pointed out earlier in the podcast. Yeah. uh, And look, uh, personally, if I were a general manager, uh, my feeling would be like, I would love to do division. I would have no problem doing a division deal. Um, In fact, if you follow the logic, your feeling would be like, you know what, I'm going to have enough confidence myself to make a trade where I'm pulling prospects out of your organization moving forward for that player. I think I can win that. It's like a, you know, one-on-one duel, but you know where that really comes into play is at the ownership level. Like Bob Castellini, who owns the Reds, he's got, uh, you know, past connections with the Cardinals. And it, that could be a, a place where he injects himself into the process. And that's pure speculation, where if the Reds are sitting there, they have an offer on the table from, say, the Dodgers, from the Yankees, from the Cardinals. Wouldn't be surprised to see Bob Castellini say, you know what? I like the offer from one of those other teams. I don't want to put them on the Cardinals. Up next, we've got Tangler at N Den 42 writes in Jordan Walker is rated higher in the prospect rankings than Mason Wynn, but with the impending cap on number of roster spots for pitchers, would clubs value a guy like Wynn more because he could give his team some relief innings without claiming a pitcher spot on the roster? Um, some, yeah, I, I think, I think some, but I don't think it uh, would be a big number. It wouldn't move it. Necessarily, I think teams value flexibility, especially at the end of spring training. A couple of regulars here to close out the bleacher tweets. PK Steinberg writes in: Is there typically more pressure on the first base coach or the third base coach? Third base coach, because the third base coach, uh, you know, has that decision whether or not to wave a runner home or to stop the runner, and there's much more focus on that. Where some of the times when a first base coach might make make a, make a mistake, I don't think people really even notice it or even talk about it, not like they do with a third base coach. I mean, shoot, you remember last year 
uh, in the uh, wild card game in the American League, the whole conversation around Phil Nevin. Should he have sent Aaron Judge, uh, mm-hmm. who got thrown out at home plate by Xander Bogarts? That that is not a something that's going to be said about the first base coach. Literally lost his job over it. Yep. Mitchell at Tigers of Detroit writes in, do you think the Padres were, well, I'm sorry, do you think the Pirates will offer O'Neill Cruz a similar deal to the one they cut with Cabrian Hayes? Which potential free agent signings do you see them making to complement the young core? Or do they still have a little more tanking to do? So I know internally some of the feeling among the Pirates folks are that there's enough progress there that they feel like they have a chance to contend next year. I don't think they're going to tank. That doesn't mean they're going to spend a lot of money. Uh, but, but I don't think they're going to design failure for next year. And one thing that's a little bit different. Yes, I'm sure they'll try to sign O'Neill Cruz, but one difference between the two is that Hayes has had these series of injuries, which I'm sure has made him feel a little bit more insecure and maybe grab for that offer in a way that I don't think O'Neill Cruz necessarily would. Mr. Jakey RS writes in the athletics have won five of seven in back-to-back series. This muddies things some more. Do you think with this turnaround, do you think the A should be buyers or sellers? I think he's kind of messing with us. Yeah. You know, the question, <laughs> Come on, Mr. Jakey. It feels like a little sarcasm. Yes. Yes. It gotta be. Come on. They're sellers. And if you think otherwise, <laughs> then screw your head on straight. Last one for today. Gary Carr, my guy, he writes in the Orioles have a better record than the giants. I am fairly certain no one had that on their July 27th bingo card. No, shoot. I, how many wins do they have now? The Orioles they, uh, they have 50, like 50, 50 wins now yeah, 50 as of yesterday. Yeah, I think the over-under that I was saying, I would definitely take the under, uh, was like 62 and a half, so that's not yeah. looking too good. I would agree with you, Gary. All righty, that does it for Bleacher Tweets. Hashtag Bleacher Tweets on Twitter while you're watching games this week. And don't forget, Tim and Buster on ESPN's YouTube page on Monday's episodes. You should listen to the episode, but you can watch them uh, wave their arms around, and uh, we're going to deliver that information uh, to Tim about his speech. Yeah, that'll be fun. All right, that's it for today. That's it for this week. My thanks to Carl, Bob, Hembo, Sarah, and Taylor. Have a great day, everybody. Thanks for listening. Stay safe. And remember, hate and inequality based on skin color is something we need to fight against every single day. Two guys drove to work. Neither guy wore a seatbelt. One guy got a ticket. One guy didn't. The same two guys drove home. One guy wore a seatbelt. One guy didn't. One guy made it home. The guy not wearing his seatbelt didn't. Don't risk it. Click it or ticket. Paid for by NHTSA.